Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is a conversation with Mark today. He is a, a, a musician, a con- conductor, arranger. He is the creative director for Wellington Orchestra. He also holds at the same, like concurrently, he is the creative director for an American orchestra, the Vallejo Symphony. And um, he was a member of the NZ, a performing member of the NZSO. He's an American. Um, born musician but he has lived he's a Kiwi he, t- he says that in the start of this podcast he's a Kiwi he's uh, he's lived in New Zealand for, for a couple of decades now but uh, yeah he still divides his time between New Zealand and, and America for work and, and in fact goes all around the world uh, moonlighting and at certain times guest conducting um, but he has been a mainstay of Wellington of um, Orchestra Wellington and what an amazing um, band I, I call them a band they're a group what an amazing orchestra they are uh, I love checking out there you know every season is interesting and I, I always get along to at least one thing I should go more often but always get along to one thing and so we, we referenced the in this conversation the final um, of the 2018 season because I had gone along to that to that performance and it was amazing um, I'll include my review of that in the in the notes for this so if you want a reference to, to the works that we discuss and and some of the players that are mentioned it'll all be there if you want to read that um, I had never met Mark but I have been in awe of him as a as a performer and conductor as, as a, a, a musical entity as a force of music and a force of nature I've been um, impressed with his work and abilities for for a decade or so, I, I think I met him fleetingly uh, 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 about it, you know, over a decade ago. But this is the first time that we'd actually properly spoken, and and uh, we'd been wanting to do this. Well, I'd been wanting to do this podcast for a long time. I think he had had certainly um, been interested in doing it, and just wasn't available one previous time. So uh, it was lovely to sit down and meet him and chat with him. And so this is a a, a big old chat about classical music. This is the most. Uh, I've ever talked about classical music in one go in my life. It's the most uh, that it's been featured on the podcast, um, and it was a, a, a great uh, thrill to meet Mark and to and to sit and find out everything that goes into designing a program and to I guess really to dedicating a life to classical music. Um, he's uh, you know Juilliard trained and and uh, I feel like he his mastermind topic could be just about anything on the subject of classical music. Uh, uh, the orchestra has released a. A, a, an album on CD and also on double vinyl. Uh, there'll be notes, uh, link to notes for that too. So check that out if you haven't already. Um, I really loved meeting Mark, as I said, and having this conversation. This is me talking with Mark today of um, classical music fame, is what I'm going to say, because he's been involved in so many projects over the years. So yeah, enjoy this. We haven't really ever met, I don't think. But not I really, not really. Passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I rem- I can remember serving you in in a bookshop. Really, years ago. Like I'm talking, probably the first season of Orchestra Wellington. Like a I wasn't an asshole or anything. Was I? No, 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 no. no. I, can't, I, I usually can remember what people have okay, purchased. Good. I can't remember what you bought, but I do remember I had probably just been to my very first Orchestra Wellington gig, so I sort of broke character of being a retailer and and said to you, oh, um hey, you know, I went something like, hey, I went to the show and I loved it and rah, rah, rah. And you just said, oh, hey, great, thanks. That's and no, that's, I love <laughs> that's sort of, and then, you know, I've been to been, been to the shows uh, yeah. since. But 
But I've wanted to talk to you for a while, and I think we, um, you know, we did a little bit of liaising about a year ago around trying to make it happen, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And and that's a recurring theme for me in chasing people for podcasts. So I'm really grateful that you. That's my pleasure. Yeah, that you wanted to come around. I I, I wanted to. I know a little bit about you, but I I guess I want to. Um, it's always good to start at the start. I want to know. Uh, where you grew up and then I guess within that music is so much a part of your life um, was that always the way? Okay well um, I grew up in the New York metropolitan area in New Jersey and, uh, and you know I think it's a it's probably a, a story that lots of people tell who are, who are into music or make some artistic endeavor or mm. sporting endeavor in their life the school, the community, the school that I grew up in had a really strong music department. Um, mm. I was lucky to grow up in an upper middle class area, which had a, a first class music system. And um, when I was in, when I was eleven years old, um, we were allowed to pick an instrument. Um, I went into the band room and um, I saw a euphonium, which I thought looked really cool because mm. I mean at that time I was much smaller, so it looked like a gigantic <laughs> yeah, tuba. Yeah. And um, I, I took to it really e easily, and um, and within two years, I thought music is what I wanted to do. Um, but I also quickly realized that um, I wasn't going to become a professional euphonium player because the only <laughs> avenue for that is like the Marine Band in Washington, yeah, yeah. and I'm a make love, not war kind of guy. Right. So um, I went to the trombone because the mouthpiece is the same. And um, it was a very, very quick and easy transition. In fact... Um, a lot of uh, trombonists have made that transition. For instance, the current principal trombonist of the NZSO, Dave Bremner, mm. was a euphonium player to start, and then right. picked up the trombone. He's a magnificent trombonist. Um, so that was that. And then, um, because we were in the New York metropolitan area, my last two years of high school, um, I would go on Saturday mornings to the Juilliard School of Music in New York, um, where they had this fantastic program that started at 8.30 in the morning, went till 5.30 at night, and I did that for two years. Um, and then I went to the University of Juilliard um, and uh, got my bachelor's and master's there. It was fantastic being in the middle of New you York. You say you went to the University of Juilliard. Well, the Juilliard School. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though, but you um, you have to audition for that. Yes. You, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a competitive school. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a much fabled. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, a, it's, it's a very, um, yeah, I mean, they have a huge endowment. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, some great, great people. It's like Perlman um, yeah. have have gone through the school, um, uh, and it's it's right in Lincoln Center. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had a great time, and you know, being a young young kid, it was fun having fun, sort of bar hopping around New York, <laughs> yeah, yeah, seeing wow. great concerts. Uh, I I heard the Berlin Philharmonic and Carrion and Carnegie Hall. It was, it was there were I I, I went to some incredible. Um, concerts that certainly um, changed my view of how music can be interpreted mm. or what have you. Anyway, after that I, 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 I graduated, I had a year freelancing in New York and then uh, there was a position advertised in the union paper for the principal trombone position in the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. So I auditioned for it and they uh, I, I won the audition and they, they flew me out for a trial period of about a month and I figured I was uh, 24 um, and I figured that well if uh, if they didn't like me or I didn't like them I'd get a free trip to New Zealand <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah I was just going to say what did you know of New Zealand nothing nothing much not, like, not, not too well I mean of course Kiri Takanawa yeah 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 
But um, no, I, I was woefully ignorant of the. It was about the job. It wasn't the, the job. About, exactly. And, right. and then the fact that the job was in a, you know, somewhat interesting. You Very know, it was always going to be interesting to travel, right? But yes. The job could have been the Sydney. Sydney Symphony. That's right. Symphony, from whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting though. I was playing uh, a gig in one of the regional orchestras in New York, the Queen's Philharmonic. Um, and at the time, there was a bass player there named Bob Adair, who's married to Alexa Steele, who was, is this famous flute player from New Zealand, mm. who was the principal flute player of the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. And I, he heard me talking about my intentions to audition. So this was before I had even auditioned for the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. And Bob said, oh, well, my wife's just gotten appointed as principal flute, and it's a fantastic orchestra, blah, blah, blah. So I, I did realize, um, just before auditioning, that it was a fine orchestra, and, uh, that uh, that impression that Bob gave me was confirmed in the first rehearsal, which was a very requiem rehearsal. Um, yeah, fantastic orchestra. So I had a great time. I, I was principal trombone so there. So you weren't. What you're saying is you weren't sold a lemon at all. You were, no. It was, it was like the NZSO fabulous orchestra, mm, and mm. Um, you know, over the years, I've been here quite some time now. It's it's just gone from strength to strength, um, especially uh, now that the NZSO rehearses in the Michael Fowler Center. So they rehearse in the place in which they perform. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to contend with different acoustics, uh -huh. um, at least in Wellington. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, the orchestra, I have nothing but the highest regard for their standard. Mm. Um, during my time uh, as a trombonist, uh, one of the things my, the, the person who preceded me as principal trombone stepped down to second and they were really keen to get someone, I guess, from overseas because the second trombonist, John McCarver, said to me that they wanted someone who would also teach to, to sort of maybe start a school of trombone mm. playing that wasn't mm. so brass band centered. And I, I took that on board. So I started teaching immediately after getting the job at Victoria University. Um, and that, that had, that's been a, re a really big part of my, my career teaching um, music, first mm. trombones, then uh, orchestral repertoire classes, what have you. Um, so I had a, 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 a connection to Vic, and they were able to indulge me with um, doing orchestral, as I said, orchestral repertoire classes, where I would start conducting mm. the, all the kids and the students, I should say. And, uh, and, and then I was doing uh, contemporary music stuff with my colleagues from the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. At some stage, I started um, asking the NZSO and the other orchestras around the country, oh, I'd, I'd love to get a chance to conduct, see what I'm doing at Vic. And I think probably just to shut me up, the NZSO <laughs> um, offered me a couple of lunchtime concerts, which went down very, very well. And because of that, the other orchestras started using me. And uh, within, probably within three years of that first um, lunchtime concert, uh, the Christchurch Symphony had made me principal guest conductor. And then a year following that, um, they had appointed to be music director, at which time I had to um, uh, resign from the NZSO. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to follow my dream. I, I don't want to end up on my deathbed wondering, mm. you know, what, what would have happened. So, I mean, I think, you know, in life, a musician, any, well, anyone, you've got to back yourself on what you're going to do mm -hmm. and let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, dispel for me or confirm for me a couple of myths I have in my head about conductors and conducting. Yeah. I was watching you on Saturday night and I thought um, the conductor is, is the lifeblood for the orchestra, but the or but you know, blood flows both ways. The, the music is the lifeblood for you. It flows through you. You are the conduit 
as much as the conductor. These are the things I think, and then I think, gosh, that's very cliched and hackneyed. What what's go you know not so much now that you're experienced, but what's going through your mind as a first or second or third time conductor? Right. Apart from holy hell, I just need to get through this like anyone when they're starting a job. Well, I mean, I think your your comment that uh, there's there's a sort of uh, two way street. Mm, um, mm. I you know I do think of myself as a collaborator with the musicians. We're all mm. in together. Um, mm. Conductors don't make any noise. It's the musicians that play the music. Um, conductors certainly shape a performance, um, mm. and uh, and uh, they have uh, authority over the process. Uh, so I mean. The, I suppose the most mundane way of thinking of it, a conductor is given a certain time frame in which to put a product together. And conductors are, for better or worse, a necessary evil because without a conductor, orchestras might have to spend far more time rehearsing a piece of music mm. um, than they might otherwise have to do. So at a very basic level, I will, um, first of all, I'll pick, I'll pick the piece that we're going to do, but then um, I'll, I'll conduct it in rehearsal and it'll very soon I'll get an idea of how I'll need to structure the rest of the time remaining to make sure I can polish the music up as well as I can. Mm, mm. Um, I certainly bring a point of view to the interpretation, but, and that's in my head, but, you know, if, if, the, if the orchestra plays something better than I imagined it, I'd be stupid not to go with them. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and you know, one of the first rules uh, about music is it's, it's an oral art form. You know, we, mm. we're, we're listening and um, the musicians listen to each other and the conductor has to listen to what's produced as well. And there's, there is this uh, conversation, artistic conversation, which is left unsaid between how, how are we going to shape something? And it's not just the conductor um, sort of dictating his or her wishes all the time it's it's a sense of holding hands and trying to to realize uh, uh you know a perfect piece of music mm. i was thinking too like with the performance i watched on saturday one of the you know for, say for the lay person perhaps one of the best ways to get an understanding of what a conductor might bring to a performance is to see a program where there's more than one conductor so you had the guest, you had a guest conductor, yes, and you just you you know like anything, people do things in different ways, yeah. and it's you know y yes, it's an oral form, but conducting is is in terms of an audience, yeah. understanding there's a visual medium, absolutely. So just seeing you know two different type or three different types of performances sure. from a conductor suddenly puts something in your mind about oh okay so there you know there is not one set way to do this you don't go to conducting school and come out you know on a treadmill like no. you you are encouraged to develop your own as an actor would approach a scene in a different way to another actor exactly right yeah. and um so so certainly there there are um uh, Yes. Beat patterns that we, we all yeah. do that, and the musicians are expecting, you know, if you're in four, if you're in three, yeah. you're five, they're expecting certain shapes to come out. But, but we physically, we're all different. Yes. Um, young Andrew is a quite tall and very slender young man. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, he's got, I, I like his style. It's, yeah, I did it's, too. It's, 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 it's really wavy, but, you know, he's got great musical ideas. Mm. And, um, um, I think he learned a lot this week, playing and uh, working in front of the orchestra. Yeah. But yeah, I, you're quite right. Everyone, you know, you can be slight of build, and lot, lots of conductors are very tiny. Mm. Um, or you can be tall. There's a famous uh, Bernstein's mentor, Dmitri Metropolis, was six eight. 
Wow. You know, so there, there are, um, you know, we come in all shapes and yeah. sizes. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, basically, if, if you're able to convey through gesture um, musical insight or able to, to create something really special, spur of the moment, which happens sometimes, mm. Um, mm. Through, it doesn't matter how you do it. I had a trombone teacher who said, um, you know, I, I must have been having some problem. And, and I said, you know, or I was doing something in a way that I thought might have been wrong. And he said, no, mate, um, whatever, you know, however you can do it, if you, if you get the product out, it doesn't matter if you have to mm. be on a pogo stick or something, you know, just as long as you're getting the uh, the result that you want. Mm, and mm. I think I think it's the same with conducting also. Yeah. Now, you're, um, you, you know, you referenced Kirita Kanawa and people know um, stories about her and I guess other people that are as famous as her or have those roles and we you know the the the, the idea of someone being a diva uh -huh. in the in the <laughs> you know uh, negative connotations and and you know you've worked with people from outside of you know strict classical mm -hmm. traditions Art Garfunkel, Dave yeah. Dobbin. Sure. Um, you don't need I'm not setting you up to name names but what's the relationship like for a conductor and say an important guest or or a or a you know a guest soloist that doesn't need to be a vocalist are there tricky relationships to manage do you become like you know is there a sort of puppet mastery thing that you have to be doing and what's what's it like connecting with people perhaps fleetingly you know one performance yeah. and they bring all sorts of expectation and baggage yep it's a good question. Um, so, Kira Takano is, is, is certainly a diva, but in my experience, a diva of the very best sort. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, so, for me, Kiri, it's, it's all about the music for her. Mm. She is as serious a musician, as serious about her craft... Yeah. as you'd expect. I mean, sometimes she has said things in print <laughs> yes. that don't endear her yeah, yeah. to the public. And, and, you know, and we all do thoughtless things, I suppose, mm, from time mm, to time. Mm. Things that maybe we will, will, would regret saying. Yeah. And I'm sure that that might be the case for her. But my experience working with her, I've worked with her a few times, but the first time I met, of course there's this expectation of, <laughs> this is Kiri yes. Takanoa, you know, pretty much the most famous person in the classical music world. Um, and she was in the beginning a little standoffish, uh, but it was interesting. You know, you just you just treat them with absolute professionalism. You 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 do a great job. You try to bring to the table uh, what they bring to the table by example. Yes. And and um, and so for instance, so that that first rehearsal, we we did a couple of numbers, and Kiri said, oh, "Look, I just got off the plane. Like, can can we just resume this tomorrow?" I said, "Of course." This, that's fine mm. and I think that broke the ice because she might have expected me to say no we need to get yeah, the yeah I'm the yourself. boss I'm in charge You'll, yeah. you work for me but it's well that's what I wonder it's no, kind no. of like an interesting you know in a way I see the the sort of the star soloist and the conductor as you've both got kind of authority over being the boss in a way and so there becomes a, a push-pull yeah you know that that can happen it, I'm trying to think. I don't think it's ever... No, no, I'm going to say it's never happened with me. Yeah. But I will say that it's because I adopt the view that it's their piece. 
Yes. I'm I'm not going to tell uh, Kyoto Kanawa how to sing the Strauss Four Last Songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, if she has a conception. Um, but, you know, having said that, there is give and take in, in concert. Mm. And in, and I might say, oh, you know, Dan Kiri, do you mind if we go a certain direction or what have you? And they'll either say yes or no. And so there's there's a little bit of that. And then this idea of spur of the moment in, in a concert. So, for instance, uh, two nights ago, Michael Norris's violin concerto, Amalia played the last moment of that faster than she had ever done in, in rehearsal. Right. And it was exciting. I was and, just going to say, I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was super amazing. And, and we did too, because yeah. all of a sudden, like, of course, there's nothing like a world premiere to, um, yes. to focus one's attention. <laughs> yeah. But when it, it goes 10% faster or 5% faster, whatever it was, yeah. Immediately, we were even more awake and in the moment. Yes. Um. And so, with so that can kind of thing can happen with soloists. Um. But yeah. But There's a nice disguise in that piece, and that it it was a piece that had so many twists and turns. That's right. And not only is it a world premiere, so yeah. no one's going, oh, that's it's not like how it's supposed to go. Yeah. But it was full of surprises, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Kira Takanawa a diva of the best sort and in fact at the end I, I sent her a card of the first time I worked with her just saying uh, you know thank you very much you know your your approach to uh, to music making is an inspiration mm. and, and this idea that excellence above all else is really important and this was around the time where she had the timidity to uh, diss our Haley Western oh rock. yes yeah yeah <laughs> no one disses our Haley. yeah yeah <laughs> That's a real. Um, that, I mean, they're the they're the two, aren't they? Out of music, in a way. I like, guess so. I, you know, so like you can understand uh, one wanting to not give the yeah. other any change, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's opera versus yes, opera. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But in terms of like outside, you know, in terms of the mainstream, what people know about exactly, yeah, they are the two big. Yeah, that's right. Names. That's yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, so I mean, you you've worked with how, how does it sort of how does it work for you around? I guess I want to say moonlighting or um, you know, guest like, conducting. Yeah, guest conducting, like because you've done a lot of different. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we we could talk for hours just trying to go through your CV. Right. So I, you know, I don't, I don't want to. Do that, but I do. Well, I do want to touch. I mean, you've done a lot of different things. You've, I mean, how many orchestras, roughly, do you think you've worked with? Is it too many to count? For example, well, I mean, I can count up to fifty, so it's probably around there. I'm not quite sure. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's the nature of the conducting business. Um, You know, I'm very fortunate. I have two music directorships. I've had three in my in my career so Mm, far. mm. Um, But you know, of course, I guest as well in Australia, New York. uh, Sorry, well, New York, of course. Um, uh, in in America, in Asia as well, and. yeah, it keeps the mortgage happy, I suppose. Yeah, wow. Um, and it keeps it fresh also. It's always, there's something yeah. enervating, energizing about um, getting in front of a new group of musicians yeah. and, and, and hearing what they give, how how each orchestra is different, how they respond differently to the beat, what have you. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds to me, I mean, you, you, you got to conducting as much as anything through teaching. Teaching and playing, and, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously yes, playing. Absolutely. Obviously that's a bit, but you don't, get into music and go one day I'm going to be a conductor you get well, into music and go I'm going to be a player and then it morphs uh, well that was my story a lot of people go in and, and go to conducting school yeah oh no I'm sure but I mean for you like you, yeah for me yeah. Um, yes that that was it well when I was at Juilliard I, 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 I took some classes in conducting with um, a, a wonderful teacher 
Uh, but at, at that time, I couldn't conceive the career path of a conductor. I just mm. didn't. Whereas uh, orchestral musician, because a trombone, you're only going to be an orchestral musician. It was it was daunting because you're going to be you have to audition with up to two hundred people. So, for instance, I when I won the principal trombone job in, of of the uh, New Zealand Symphony, I was one of one hundred and twenty five that, that auditioned for the job. Mm. You know, so it, it it's kind of daunting. Mm. Where where, but at least you see a clear path. You win the audition. The committee likes you better than everyone else. You get the job. The end. Mm. Conducting, it's it's a little less less straightforward than that. But um, yeah, the path I've t taken is 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 one that's reasonably common. Possibly even more common is the idea of becoming a conducting student. Then getting an assistantship somewhere and then yeah. moving on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, what's the so you. What's the first significant musical directorship that you have, and how long does that run for? Well, I mean, the first music directorship I had was the Christchurch Symphony. Yeah. So that's what I left the New Zealand yeah. Symphony Orchestra yeah. for. That was for six years yeah. I had that. And um, a lot of the ideas that I have around audience engagement and programming were formulated there. So, right. Um, it was... I made a lot of mistakes, and but I also had a lot of... I gained a lot of insight mm. into how how things work and you so know, this I'm, is like early 2000s yeah early yeah. 2000s I was really um, I mean I was proud and I still re remain proud of the work I did in Christchurch I mean when I, my numbers were the highest they've ever been um, I'm sure next year when the town hall comes back from the earthquake um, damage they'll, their numbers are going to start rising again yeah, but I'm, yeah. I'm really pleased that I was able to give to them uh, a more coherent um subscription idea concept which you're still using to this day mm, so mm. I think that was probably some of the help that I was able to offer the Christchurch Symphony at that time um, but so what I learned in Christchurch I've been able to bring to my my second orchestra which my second music directorship was Orchestra Wellington and my third orchestra um, music directorship which is I have concurrently with Orchestra yeah. Wellington is in California Vallejo Symphony and they're um, in the Bay Area yeah. one of the uh, regional orchestras there are a lot of orchestras uh, that circle encircle San Francisco and they kind of all use the same players they call it the Freeway Philharmonic right yeah yeah, yeah. so you hold the job with Orchestra Wellington yep. first before you know you do that on its own for a bit yes yeah yeah I mean yeah. so I mean, they're, they're my orchestras, and obviously I have to attend board meetings or what have yeah, you, yeah. And, and I'm responsible for the programming and auditions and that kind of mm, stuff. Mm. But, you know, Northern Southern Hemisphere orchestras, they, they work pretty well, and I'm able to manage my time. So, you know, if I have to be in one place at one, one week and the other in the other week, I mean, Air New Zealand has a great service between San yeah. Fran and uh, yeah. Auckland. Yeah, Super yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just jump on at night and yeah. you're fairly fresh the next day. Really fresh. It's, it's yeah. great. And, and both ways, it's the, it's an evening yes. flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't be easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've done that a couple yeah. of times and yeah. it's it's pretty decent, right? Definitely. Um, so you, yeah, so talk, talk through a little bit about um, what an actual, you know, what the music directorship Entails you just sort of said around attending board meetings, uh, commissioning works. Commissioning works, yeah. You know, obviously, we see you up there on stage as the conductor, yeah. and that has its own uh, rituals and regimes. But yeah, yeah, there's so much more than just that. Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, what it's about is studying the music. Mm. Really, 
because because it's hard, man. Mm. You know, I mean, these scores are really complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, one of the joys, I guess, of being a conductor is that y you need to put the hours in to kind of come to grips with what these geniuses, how they constructed their work. It's if because if you don't really have a the key to the construction of a work, how are you going to interpret it? Um, so mm. so that that's that that's kind of our homework. Um, and then, of course, it's, you know, how effective you are at time management, um, instilling um, inspiration to the musicians, what have you, um, getting the process done. But then, yeah, th there's this idea of programming. You know, programming is really, really difficult, in my view. I, I take it very, very seriously, and I'm pretty mm. proud of what we've accomplished in terms of our numbers. Um, so programming takes up a lot of my time, and there are so many things that you have to consider with programming. Um, you know, we have a composer-in-residence program, so we want to do that. Um, we, have, we have budget issues we have to deal with. Um, I'm really keen on having a season that tells a story, so it hooks mm. people in for the entire year. So trying to juggle lots of these aspects, and then of course there's the idea of what pieces do I want to play, have the orchestra play for their development musically. Yeah, yeah. So there's so many layers and of 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 complication for for programming um, that that you know need to be considered. So that that takes up a lot of my time, and then um, you know we have our outreach programs, education programs, what have you. Um, and look, it's not all me. You know we work. As a, as a really tight unit, it's mm -hmm. it's not a huge office that we have, but um, we 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 we're really lucky. And you know, bef bef before we started recording, we were talking a little about this. And one one of the things that that I want to stress is that it's not just one person mm. uh, that that is responsible for the success of an orchestra. Um, the you know the orchestra has to be top notch, of course. Um, artistically, there there needs to be a great sense of purpose, but Everything has to work. Management, the board, most importantly. Mm. You know, if, if a board is stuffy, the ensemble is going to be stuffy. Yeah. You know, if the board is um, adventurous, uh, adventurous. Yeah. The orchestra will be adventurous. Um, it might be an unpopular thing to say, but I think the most important part of any arts organization is the board. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of people. You know, closely followed by the musicians. Um, but you know, I'd also submit that, and I, you know, I go on about this. But what you're saying is, one actually enables the other. It's we're working together, yeah. Yeah. you know, and um, you know, marketing. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think that I, I'm sort of a little marketing savvy. So when I pick a program, I I, I, I throw ideas out how how it might be marketed, and then yeah. our marketers go to town with that. And and more often than not, um, they they go with my idea. So a couple of years ago, we did this season called The Empresario, based on the Diaghilev Ballet Russe. And they went with The Empresario, but what they came up with visually was great. I mean, mm. I couldn't be happier with um, everyone on, on the, on the, mm. in the orchestra, mm. uh, top to bottom. Because yeah. mm. it's, I mean, your programs are about, well, the music is about storytelling, and your, so your programs are telling a story. As you say, there's a, an overarching theme, but they also have to be standalone shows Completely. because, you know, a person might go to one per year and they don't need to know, oh, no. I missed the bits from the exactly month before right. and I better go next time to get the, you know, the, it's a self-contained That's right. This is not like concert. Harry Potter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck in that. Oh my gosh. Moment. Oh yeah, that's right, you poor man. 
It's awful. <laughs> I bet it is. <laughs> the best thing about it is the music. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The music is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, my, my sort of naive idea here is that, I mean, obviously, you've got your playing background and your conducting background, and they serve each other. Yes. Like... As you say, some people go off and learn to be a conductor. Now they can only do that with some musical understanding and ability, but they might not have played as much. And I feel like a conductor who has played in an orchestra and been conducted on in a, in a very severe, serious level brings an empathy mm-hmm. to the situation. Yeah, you, well, I, you, I like you, to think you, so. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and someone who's gone on to do you know to teach as yeah. well that that all brings various sort of ideas around how to communicate an idea and, you know, so forth. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I yeah. And look, you know, you look at Ada DeVard, who's the current music director of the NZSO. He mm. was principal oboe of the Concertgebouw mm. um, before he became Leonard Bernstein's assistant in New York Philharmonic in the mid-60s. Um, great conductor. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, he, he has, you know, he has intimate knowledge of how an orchestra works. And I think, you know, it's something that one can learn on the job if you're not, if you've not been a very good musician, yeah. uh, player, I should say. Sure. But, um, but yeah, it, it's definitely an advantage to player conductors. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then what I'm thinking is, you know, so you have your experiences as a player and the repertoire that you've learned as a player. Yeah. And then, and, and a lot of that sits with you. Mm-hmm. Some of it, like anything people learn gets pushed to the back of the brain and even gets forgotten yes. with time. And I guess the same is true for you as a conductor that you have your kind of staples that mm-hmm. are just so ingrained and then but you're constantly learning and finding new works. Absolutely. I guess what I'm trying to get to is <laughs> is uh what's the bandwidth like, <laughs> you know, to hold all of this for you personally and how much time is spent um Going back over, you know, chestnuts and staples, you know, you've got your, well, you know, say nine key Beethoven symphonies and what, probably four or five of those in particular are, are massive, massive staples. Yeah, I mean... Things I was, like that, yeah. is it, you know, is it, I'm wondering, is it a bit like a, a, a chef with, you know, stock flavour combinations and go-to ingredients? Well, um... You know, obviously, I, you know, I, I do Beethoven a lot. Beethoven's our bread and butter. Mm. It, it just simply is. The nine symphonies are mm. the fundamental repertoire of every orchestra in the world, mm-hmm. for good reason. Also, they're mm. the you know greatest. It's the greatest symphonic cycle of all time, um, in my view. But th- these works are so important um, that e- even though I've done them all multiple times. You know, I take it seriously. You go through, and you know what? You're always discovering something new. Right. Or, or, or as you're going through it again, you start. Your interpretation might just start morphing to try to bring out, uh, you know, maybe a, a certain harmonic sequence or mm. or a structural detail that has has always been there, but you want to emphasize that structural detail in your performance. To you know, so when you're conducting, you can say to the audience, "And now listen to this. How cool mm. is that?" Mm. Um, but but yes yeah so but it doesn't take as long once you've done Beethoven yeah, nine yeah, twenty yeah, times what yeah, have you yeah. but um it's uh 
you take you take it seriously, um, and especially a lot of the staple works, you know, all the Brahms, Beethoven's, Bruckner's, um, mm-hmm. I do from memory, yeah, mm. Dvorak's. Um, mm. So that 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 adds an added complexity. But what's nice is you take the stand away and you're right there with the players, and there's there's a, a deeper connection um, between um, the players and you. I mean, whether you do it from memory or not, it, in a way, is meaningless. But for me, it, if if I can commit a work to memory, it makes me a better conductor. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered. I guess I answered the question. No, you did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just and I, I guess I guess connected to that is well. So the pro, you conducted two works at the last program of the year. Yeah. One was, as you say, a staple. Yes. And and it was and it was beautiful and it was awesome and it's something that you you referenced. That it wasn't just something you knew well. It's a very well known, yeah, very well known piece. Piece that, <laughs> that, that everyone knows. That everyone knows, yeah. and even if they don't know it by by name and complete intricate detail, there are so many familiar themes and moments that it's one of those pieces people recognise. Oh, I do know this. You know, again, I'm talking sort of layperson yeah. type. But the other piece that you did that we've referenced that preceded that was a world premiere of a local composer. Which Michael knows, which which was amazing, also, and it went through various different uh, motifs and moments, yeah. and it really uh, twisted and turned. I thought it was very filmic and very, very interesting. Um, that was what about twenty minutes? About twenty minutes. Ish. Long, yeah. yeah. So that's a that's a, 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 a you know a normal but big piece a big you know yeah. a centerpiece I mean I think that's a major size yeah, yeah 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 so I guess as that being the world premiere I mean how much work is involved in delivering that to stage from you know is, is that something you're able to explain I, yes I am just um, seem like that's a good thing to talk about because it's a it seems to me a, a weighty big but not enormous piece a mid-sized right. piece and yeah. it's brand new yeah and so no one knows it so, so what's involved in it? Okay, so when I got the score about two months ago, yeah. I started studying it, and the first thing that struck me was this was probably the best and most well-conceived score I've ever seen in my life. It so the level of complexity and intricacy of notation mm. that Michael wrote, I just couldn't comprehend the amount of time that it took. And then in our pre-concert talk, which he shared with me, he said that it took him ten months to write. And I can believe yeah. it because, yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't have the score with me, but, yeah. it, you know, it's well over 100 pages of, you know, 24 staves. And every single stave has very specific details. Um, he's having the strings press press lightly on um, the strings to create harmonics. Mm. Um, and they're all very, very complicated harmonics, um, false harmonics also. So he might press the string and then lightly press either a fourth or a fifth or sixth above, and that has different um, uh, consequences for what harmonic sounds. It might be um, a fifth two octaves above, or it might be an octave above, or, or three octaves above. Mm. Um, and all of this has to be detailed. So there, so that was the first thing that I noticed. So, so let's say it took about eight to nine months to write the piece mm-hmm. and then have it printed out. Took me um, two months of study. Not, not you know. I have lots of other things. I was just going to say, it's not, no, 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 you, no. You've got another whole um, gig going I'd, on at various points. I'd go completely yeah. insane, yes. insane yeah. man. Jesus. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so there was that, and then, but the, in fact, and then the players, of course, uh, got the music probably about. 
two or three weeks before the first rehearsal. And, uh, you know, I, I was concerned because uh, a, a, a lot of the scale, the, the, the passages, because a lot of this music is non-tonal, um, they're sharps and flats that sort of don't really make, like if you're practicing scales, you soon get a, a rhythm for, for what, how accidentals are going to appear in front of the music. Mm. But these didn't kind of make too much sense, and it was based on these really non-repeating octave scales that he's invented. Um, so the, a lot of this writing was awkward for the players, and mm. some of the players expressed misgivings to me before, saying, this, this can be really hard, Mark. Yeah, do, yeah. You, do we have enough time? Because we only had a two-and-a-half-hour rehearsal the night before the premiere. Wow. So um, we, we get to the... Um, to the, the rehearsal and Michael's there which I was really pleased about and basically we were able to sight read all the movements it, he, it, it looked like it was going to be a lot harder to put together and I, I was there were certainly places that I had picked that were going to be hard and they were hard but they weren't insurmountable and um, two and a half hours was plenty we were able to sight, read the movement rehearse the movement all three, all three movements, and then at the end, I had about 25 minutes left, and we were able to run the piece again. And then we ran it again in the morning, um, and then a couple of patches for Michael, and then we did the concert, and and it was just at a very consistent level all the way through. Um, and you know, so I, I think it's testament to the quality of Orchestra Wellington. I'm I couldn't be prouder. Um, it's possibly also testament to the fact that we did two Bartok concertos earlier in the year, Bartok second violin concerto mm. and his first piano concerto, which are ridiculously difficult pieces. Um, so I think the orchestra was thinking, oh, wow, this Michael Doris looks just as hard as the Bartok. But in fact, the Bartoks are far more... Yeah, well, I was going to say, is there, there's obviously a, a match fitness type thing that happens. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. So, like, you know, you're talking good players who work hard and all bring their personal abilities and stories yeah. to it. But as a unit there's something that happens throughout the season, right? So Completely. They, yeah. Match fitness, I love that. And um, and that's what I was referring to earlier. Mm. Programming, it's not just about um, trying to think of a, an idea that will sell well. Yeah. It's also what's going to be best for the orchestra. Yeah, when are they at their right moments to hit this and and, 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 you, you, and you to sell it. That's right. And yeah. you, you always want to challenge an orchestra, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the best possible way, bring music that they might not have played before or, or music that does take work, does take concentration. Um, because that's, you know, they're, they're, they're highly trained musicians. We need to have fun. You yeah. do need to, change, uh, to challenge yourself, I think. Well, I, I, you know, uh, for myself, I've been to a bunch of different orchestras over the years, but I, I'm very, you know, much a, a you know, neophyte or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm I, you know, you, you have seen so much more than me and you understand it on such a greater level but I guess we've both probably seen and maybe you've been part of performances where it actually does feel like going through the motions and I wonder if like you know we were talking before we started recording about um, baggage that people bring to going and seeing an orchestra and how yeah. people feel it can feel uncomfortable like that, that like it's exclusionary Yeah. and I, th I, I think maybe you know people have had that bad experience where if they don't fully understand what's happening mm. and they watch someone and they think, oh, that person's just standing there with a triangle and then at the end they ding it. Yeah. Um, that, that's not that hard. I could do that. Yeah. You know, or whatever, some it's, sort of cliche like that. Right. Then that sets up a, 
you know, it's a negative framework. Absolutely. Whereas you watch a piece like that Michael Norris piece, and you can you can have never experienced an orchestra before, but you're going to be moved and engaged because so much was happening right. across different sections. You could see and feel the the spaces, you know, the yeah. the various tensions, and and so I think like bringing that out of players, choosing works for that, and bringing that out of players d- does a good job in engaging an audience. Right. Okay. Like, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah. Look, and I'm I'm really pleased that you like Michael's piece. Um, yeah. Because um, it, it it is an engaging work. Um, and I, I guess it wouldn't be for everyone. I guess there's a definitely risk, not a real risk oh, to course. putting on something like that. And I thought that you feel that in the opening moments, in fact, yes. which is so great. Yeah. You go, but, wow, this is a ride. Yeah. Look. Uh, so for for me, orchestras are the beneficiaries of masses amount of public funding. Mm-hmm. And like any publicly funded institution, be they things like Te Papa, um, art galleries, um, libraries, parks, uh, the police, um, they're for everybody, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and and I, I hate, I abhor this idea that orchestras exist for um, wasps. You know, mm-hmm. white Anglo-Saxon Protestants of means. Mm. I mean, of course, I I love them. Don't get me wrong. They, yeah. They, 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 you know, but but you know, everyone pays their tax. You know, they should have a chance to go. So, so the Michael Fellow Center. What a beautiful venue. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there's something about going into a full hall like there was on Saturday night, with a, you know an expectant audience and enjoying some cool music. And you might not understand it all, but mm. it's it's a scene. And you know, you paid for that building. You paid for this orchestra. Um, why not enjoy what makes Wellington so special? And and that's one of the many things that makes mm. this city great. I mean the 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 music scene here, the culture scene. You know, you live just down from the best brewery in the, mm. in, in the country. I mean, you know, it's Nirvana here, yeah. really. And yeah. um, and you know, and the, the progressive nature of the country, not just Wellington, is it, it's to be celebrated. And um, for me, that's what motivates me. It's not. It's my mission statement for the orchestra, maybe not the boards, but mm. it, I want Orchestra Wellington to be considered one of the most, among the most accessible orchestras in the world, accessible to all. You know, um, I, I, I want everyone to have a chance to experience um, music. And, and, you know, not all music is for everyone, but, but I, I, think, I think there is something, it's something that should be experienced. Yeah, what you're well. saying, is, I think, too, is it's about creating entry points. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And so, well, we, we, I, there's something else I want to go back to, but I'll, I'll try and park that. This seems like a good um, place to talk about Orchestra Wellington's brand new double vinyl release, which <laughs> is simultaneously about as hipster as you can get in yeah. this day and age. But it's the correct medium for the music, right? Like, it's, there's that too. It's, yeah. Again, it's that thing that I think, you know, I think I said this to you off record, but you uh, you do that well. You sort of um, inject humour and fun, but you you adhere to tradition as well, and that's what releasing a double vinyl in this day and age yeah. f- for a New Zealand orchestra is doing. It's it's actually shouldn't be deemed, you know, weird or no. not normal because it's how many of the players and the audience first encountered this music on that format. That's right. Um, yeah. So the whole the whole album came about um, because uh, one of the 
classical music critics John Button also owns a label Concordance and he's really keen on celebrating because I think I, he seems very impressed with where the orchestra's gotten to and he wants to show people overseas the standard yeah. of the orchestra so I said let's record these two Beethoven symphonies the first and the third live makes a great for a great pairing because the first symphony is like this young 27 year old genius announcing himself to the world and then with his Eroica symphony number three it's it's like this this he's he's putting putting down his line in the sand. He changes music forever. It's, yeah. The Eroica is probably the most uh, important symphony ever written in terms of af after that. Before that point, symphonies were a certain thing. After that point, they could be they could, they would never be the same again. Um, so so we we recorded it, and John only wanted to record it on a CD, which was fine. So he. The the uh, the LP was uh, Marek Pazinski, my, yeah. uh, our marketing manager, and 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 my idea, and um, and uh, it, it was just it was just lots of fun doing it, and you know we decided to go with 180 gram vinyl, and then we decided to go with um, colored vinyl. I mean, I wanted to do a, a picture vinyl, mm. but in fact, picture vinyl sounds like crap. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, but we, we colored vinyl is the nice compromise. It, it is. It, it looks cool, but it, it's it, still yeah. Yeah, and it, I think it's just as quiet as black, evidently. Yeah. And I, I think the pressings are pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have I have thirty forty year old albums that are pressed better than the ones today, but sure. we, that's another story sure. to talk about. But it, it it's pretty good, and you know, we well, you and Merrick are both mu obviously music fanatics, but you're both vinyl heads from very different disciplines, Absolutely. essentially, too. So that's oh, yeah. quite a nice meeting of the minds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm a vinyl head because I'm an audiophile. My dad yes. was an audiophile, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, I love the toys. And so and he's a vinyl head because he's a DJ, yeah. which is another kind of audiophile. Completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I look, it was great. And one of the things I'm really pleased about is we're we're partnering with stereo shops. Mm. Um, and this is going to be a recurring thing every concert. I'm going to have a different stereo shop or maybe the same stereo shop a couple times a yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Showing gear playing our stuff yeah. not just as vinyl but other things maybe guest artists yeah um because for me it's win-win it, it, it creates a neat atmosphere yeah. for us yeah. before and after the concert but for them they get to engage with up to two thousand people so yeah. um it was real music company and they had a uh, a name one piece beautiful piece of industrial yeah that was art. cool it, it, i, I had cool. to go and have a look and yeah, i yeah. didn't test it no there was a an, enough of a queue but i just had to go and see it yeah and i think i think they were delighted i yeah. think they got it rid looked of all like their it cards. was going really well and look the um the, it, it, you know, it, it's hilarious. The the album, which you'd expect to be the thing really difficult to to, to get in time, we we had the albums ready a month ago, mm. whereas uh, the CDs still weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> usually the complete reverse. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, um, so we had a mock up at the CDs, and um, they'll be, and we took orders. Yeah, and and it's a shame we didn't have the CDs there because we would have moved more. But yeah, we sold probably forty CDs. And I think had we had them, we would yeah, sell 100. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what was amazing to me was we sold 40 of the al albums. Wow. And yeah. it, including, like, the one musician from the orchestra ball one who doesn't even own a turntable yeah, because yeah. they're so beautiful. I yeah. think, and I think Marek is going to make a frame and, and put the uh, yep. the things up. Yeah, on. yeah. Because, um, and, like, the, the colored vinyl and the uh, the uh, the labels, the labels on the, uh, on the records... Are in our our sort of red, white, and uh, sorry, black, white, and red mm, look. Mm. So um, it's it's really all on point. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Su super hipster, but you know, I yeah, expect nothing great. less of Merrick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And 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 so I mean, obviously, it's early days to project what the plan forward is. I said, obviously, this is a great business card for the orchestra. Big time. 
is there talk around like an annual record? Is that sort of yes. the, the rough game? Yeah. yeah. So look, I mean, I, I can talk numbers. We, yeah. We've only pressed three hundred of these. Yeah. Break even for us is I think around two ten. Yeah. Um, of course, we're probably, <laughs> there'll probably be some complimentaries given out, which is going to. Well, I know of one. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, that, but that's fine. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. But like, I'll, I'll tell you that I'll be upfront. It, it cost us as an orchestra seven thousand to right. do this. Yeah. It's nothing. If if we don't break even, it's 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 just the the marketing cost. Yeah. yeah. And you know that's yeah, it's a sunk cost. It's a, yeah. yeah. It, you know we're we're gonna get so much out of this. I, yeah. I think Marek's talking to Jesse Mulligan tomorrow about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. you know, so it, it's a chance. You know, when was the last time a regional orchestra was able to, you know, talk yeah. to the guy? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And. And, and, and exactly, cool. you'll get more reviews. That's right. Than you norm, like product reviews exactly than you normally right. would. I don't know if they're worth anything these days, but but just the fact that there'll be more of them means that yeah. it's more worthy. That's right. And and look with the CD, you know, we'll, yep. we'll sell a lot, and that will go overseas. John Button has contacts. Yep. So what John's about is, and he, he sent it to a he sent a pre, a pre-release CD to a a reviewer in Australia who was blown away said what this is the second orchestra in Wellington they sound this good yeah yeah <laughs> this so is, this is the B team yeah this is the B team <laughs> so um look I'm really happy in terms of future releases yes um I've already told um Kirsten my, my boss mm. that I we're doing the, the three bar Samuel Barber concertos the violin the cello and the piano yeah um so that would be three sides and then maybe we'll just do the D side, so it'll be a double gatefold again. Do yeah. the Barbara Adagio for strings. Yeah. You know, with Amalia Hall on violin, Michael yeah. Houston on yes. on piano, and then the Barbara Adagio, it will sell. Yes. And yeah. um and, and you know we'll do the same thing. We'll have the C D with everything and then we'll have the double gatefold sort of limited edition. Yeah. Because yeah. it's wonderful. It, it, I think it's a cool idea. I do too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I'm an easy audience for it, obviously. I've, yeah. You're in my the, house, I've got turntable on my yeah. desk and I've got records looks, so looks, yeah. looks like a super cool turntable too <laughs> <laughs> so um, what I want to go back to is you you I wanted to ask you about this and then you referenced when you were working with Christchurch you said that was where you I guess developed some of what you bring now right. your performance style your work style your yeah. ideas mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you I guess yeah exactly how you have developed that and what antecedents or influences in terms of you know what have you picked up from other people or what or what outside of the discipline are you trying to bring into action you know do you look elsewhere outside of you know other conductors and classical music for inspiration okay um does that make sense yeah it does uh yeah so i mean in in terms of Christchurch, you know, it was trial and error. You know, I came to the idea. So when I got to Christchurch, they they were playing in the town hall, but then they were playing in um, the what was the James Hay Theater, which was a dreadful acoustic, and 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 it was like so they had two two different subscriptions happening at the same mm. time, and and it just and that aspect didn't make any sense to me. Um, also, the programming that they were doing before I came in. It was board led, and the the board felt that what the audience wanted was just the classics all the time. And and oddly enough, they found their audience numbers dwindling because you can't play Tchaikovsky for every other year. 
Yeah. No, no one wants yeah. to hear that. It's a great symphony, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, where's the context? So last weekend, you, you heard Dvorak 9. You know, possibly the most overplayed symphony other than Beethoven 5. Yeah, yeah. But I think we earned our stripes because throughout the year we did a cycle. So we heard, we played some. Yeah, you created a, Yeah. You uh, created a new context for it. Exactly right. Yeah. So, so first thing I did in Christchurch was I, I, I engaged the audience with questionnaires. What do you want to do? You know, what, mm. what, what day of the week do you we like to go out? We We yeah. kind of, yeah. Because they hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, soon became clear that. Christchurch wants Saturday night. They don't want Friday. Yeah. They, they don't want Sunday. Don't mm. even mention Tuesday. Yeah. You know, it's Saturday. And 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 but the orchestra was doing all sorts of nights. And mm. it made so it was just basic things like that. Mm. Um, so and and then there was the venue. Um, and it was clear no one wanted to hear music in reverberant cathedrals. The James Hay was dry as whatever. Um, and um, and really they wanted to play in this glorious town hall they have there. So we moved everything into the town hall. We, you know, on my recommendation, we, we decided to have um, a, um, just, just, you know, just a one, one subscription series. Keep it simple. Don't, don't give people all these different options because it, 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 it creates too much work. Mm. Um, and, and then um, the, one of the, the, the chair of the board uh, talked about his vision for, okay, we should do... Um, it was really something basic, like uh, just a movement of a concerto, like maybe all oh, second movements, blah, blah blah, something like that. But it got me thinking. Well, hold on, maybe maybe we should just do a cycle, and and so I, and I, I I said to him, well, I like your idea, but let's morph it slightly. And how about we do all five of the Beethoven piano concerti with Deirdre Irons, because mm. she mm. was teaching at the university there, and you know she's a beloved figure in classical music. So we went with that, and that was my first experience of having a five. It was we we had nine or nine or ten subscription concerts, but we had a series of yeah, five. Yeah. And 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 that worked really, really well. So I started playing with the idea of thematic programming. Um, and other things like at one point I did a theme of Don Quixote, so I did a, a Strauss Don Quixote, um Telemann wrote one as well. Um, you know, stuff like that. I was I was I was playing around with other other concepts. I mean that one was a little bit too naff really. Mm. Um, though the great music. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of my thinking. It's mm. it's not just about programming, it's about venue, it's about uh, preference of the audience. Mm. I mean, sometimes I think audiences don't, uh, sorry, orchestras don't actually consider mundane things. It's not just about the product. Mm. Mm. You know, it's not just about what we play, it's where we play it, um, how it's presented, um, when we do it. So, um, you're, you're, I mean, you're thinking music as, as in for a community. Completely. Well, yeah. it's always been that way. Yeah, that's right. And 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 I think a more lot people need. Some people forget that. That's right. Well, uh, look. So you look. You look at the 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 model of of, of the great orchestras in the world. The world. The world class mm -hmm. orchestras in the world are in the major centers: mm -hmm. Berlin, um, Vienna, New York, what mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. um, but these these are cities that that are huge, you know, um, and and they do multiple nights and. So, for instance, New York might have what eight nine million people. Um, so they can they can do four concerts a week, mm. um, and and it'll be a tiny percentage of the population that goes, and and so they can have uh, maybe a, a less a, a more exclusive air about themselves because because that's what the public yeah, and 
I, I suppose other orchestras see that as the model of how orchestras should be. And maybe that's why people feel like there's a sort of hoity-toity nature about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in, in, in smaller centers, um, engagement's really important. And actually, I would like to say any world-class orchestra, and I think the great world-class orchestra at the moment, maybe not the best orchestra in terms of playing, but the most world-class in terms of everything they do is the LA Philharmonic crazy stupid annual budget of 150 million dollars a year it's because they run the hollywood bowl yeah. so you know but everything they do is extraordinary they have the best composer in residence program they have the best uh, engagement with the community program um, they have the most dynamic conductor in the world gustavo dudamel um they have one of the, the coolest concert halls other than the sydney mm. but but way better sounding city in frank geary's uh disney hall in LA, it's it's an extraordinary thing. So for me, even these big orchestras in big centers, I I think they're still thinking small in terms yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, it's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they've still got that. This is our actual hub. This is what we're pitching to. Yeah. This is where we exist. And and look, you know, it, it's the fine arts. Mm. And and you know, I I might be a dreamer, but I I think I think the fine arts means something. And yes, of course, it's an entertainment. Mm. But but can can it can it energize? Can it elevate? Can it can it create discussion? I th I think it can. Mm. Um, and and that's and and that's what I think is great. When I was in Vallejo, I, I I've done a lot of um, I've done a lot of uh, concerts for the kids, what have you, with the school kids, and and one of the things that struck me because Vallejo, um, the school system's not so great, and you know you have the whole urban blight thing in America a little bit, which, we, mm. you know, we're not immune to, but it's nothing like as bad mm -mm. or vexed an issue as it is in the States. And one of the things that struck me um, when, when talking about Beethoven or introducing a young soloist is that, you know, these, these, these kids are, are, are young and their lives are ahead of them. They don't, they, it, it doesn't have to be a dead end road. You, you, you can, you can, Create games for a living, or you can you can be, you can do something as obscure as be a conductor and have a, have a decent life, or mm. or you know you, you or you don't you don't have to do something that maybe you have to do to live. Yeah, yeah. Rather yeah. do something that you live to do. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, so I mean, I I think that, and you know, it's not just the fine arts. Also, I mean, any kind of music can energize people into. You know the beautiful pathways that are available in life. Yeah, if yeah. You choose to take it. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm getting a little highfalutin here, but I think that's no, good. I what I, what I sort of have always got from your from your performances, from the orchestra Wellington's performances, as coming through, and what you're saying is that it's kind of a mix of um, of you know a realistic approach with a lot of hope. It's like this music isn't for everyone, but it could be. You know exactly right. You know we we recognise there are barriers of entry. We recognise some people want to go to the rugby and they don't want to do this. Some people want to go to metal concerts and they yeah. don't want to do this, but they can do both. That's right. And we're open to that. And you know it's, it's that's the sort of feel I've always had. Because they pay for it. Yeah, yeah, it's there for you. And so, I mean. You kind of like when you when you walk on and off the stage when you feature a soloist. Uh, I think when I had that encounter with you in the bookshop all those years ago, and I was sort of saying how blown away I was by by not just the show but your approach. To me, uh, I've noticed that ever since. It's your your whole demeanor is around 
featuring everyone, saying, you know, this this is a giant big, um, a giant big thing. Loads of people on stage, and it only works because of all of them. Exactly. Like right. yes, you've got the stand up guest soloist or the first violinist that gets introduced but it doesn't mean it's all because of them and it sure as hell doesn't mean it's all because of me it's yeah. it's every single person you know whether it's 30 or 50 or 60 people on stage that comes across all the time with you know that's great well i i take it a step further and, and i and i i really bring this up essentially every time i speak to the audience it's not just about the people on stage it's mm. about everyone in that room mm, mm. um there's kind of a pack pack between um, um, perform well there's the composer but then there's the performers and then there's the audience mm. and the, the and there's giving and receiving both both ways and orchestra Wellington is about its community mm-hmm. and and one of the <laughs> Simon's dog yeah <laughs> um, uh, yeah and, and 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 it's something I stress um, music doesn't it just doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And the reason why uh, we create these temples of music in the, the mm. Michael Fowler Center, et cetera, et cetera, is, is so that we can all get together and experience something. And whether you're performing it or you're listening to it, you all have a part to play. Yeah. And I stress that. And, and I completely believe that the reason why Orchestra Wellington is so successful and it is is because of the audience and yeah. you know this term world class it, it's such so much BS you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just it's just complete bullshit but one thing that I do believe and I've said this the only thing that's world class about Orchestra Wellington is its audience because the numbers are extraordinary and I, I cherish this sort of palpable connection that we have and you know with great success comes great responsibility yeah, now yeah, and, yeah. and I I I just want to do right by the audience yeah, and the you, music. You you um, talked about you know and you, I mean you've said it here, but you talked about uh, at the final show for the year on Saturday about being proud of the next year's program mm. and putting a lot of and, and yeah, I get this feeling of I've, I guess I've thought this across the last few years. There's absolutely no resting on laurels for you or the orchestra. It's like every year, it's like how do we, yeah. if not beat. How do we be as good and slight, you know, and slightly and different. different? That's right. Yeah, not so much better, but how do we be as good and different? Well, that's right. And um, so, so next year, um, well, so this year we did a, a, a symphonic cycle, and you know, that's an obvious thing to do. I could mm. have done another symphonic cycle next year, but people might have started to think, oh, they, you know, they're just copying themselves mm. now. Um, so you know, we've decided to. Um, base a season around an idea, this word epic. And so mm. every concert has epic music, um, you know, and I think that's without an without argument, in my view. The, the pieces we're featuring next year are just so massive in scale, maybe not in duration, but in terms of importance to musical mm-hmm. development and the size of the orchestra required. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's an overwhelming and also a positive experience mm. for the audience, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... Um over the years, you've done collaborations with sort of people that sit outside of the yep. the field of of straight classical music. Yeah, more like Beck and people like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you bring in pop acts or Absolutely. you know people that you know and um, and and fe- you know featured soloists, and you've created I guess lasting relationships with people like Michael Houston. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michael's one of those people that we try to feature every year. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he, he's talking about retirement, but I mean, I, I, I think I have at least five more years of ideas for him. <laughs> yeah. So he better, you know, continue eating his fiber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, the, the pop the pop thing, I did a lot more in Christchurch. Right, because yeah, we had, yeah. We d- Orchestra Wellington doesn't do too much poppy stuff, actually, but I'm immensely proud of what we achieved in Christchurch, and it sort of created, I think, a template for... Um, this whole collaboration between orchestras and uh, pop stars. Having said that, the first collaboration, which was in a way of an inspiration for us, was the the original Enzo. Yeah, Um, right. But we, you know, as is my want, we went big time. We just didn't have single performances. So I think the first season we did um, Julia Dean's Anika Moa and Mm. Nick Runga. you know, once again, it was this idea of having a cycle. Mm, mm. So it's not just classical music that can have a cycle, but we can we can um, feature you know three extraordinary um, women in in, in New Zealand pop. Mm, you know, mm. and I, I I love just the the whole music scene in this country is incredible. Um, the the classical composition is really really strong and well supported i think and then and then there's uh kiwi popular music which is just extraordinary so mm-hmm. now we started before i started recording I, I i i said to you that i kind of didn't have any background in classical music as a as a kid growing up there was no one that you know i didn't learn an instrument a melodic instrument and and i didn't listen to classical music so i i sort of taught myself about it and i did it as a uh, not to set up a divide between two types of music, but I did it as a way of um, purposely listening to music that I wouldn't write about and that I wouldn't you know, know about. I wanted to learn about something new because I was working in a music store and I was re- reviewing basically pop and jazz records. You said that you have a similar thing, but the opposite. I mean, you need to escape and unpack from what is your job. You love music and you're going to listen to music anyway, but... Classical music is kind of research to you one way or another, I figure, in, in most cases. I'm sure you have favourite things you can just sit and listen to and fall in love with again. Yeah. Or be turned on to for the first time, perhaps, in terms of new works. But do you, in what way do you extend out beyond classical music as a listener? Oh, that's interesting. Well, look, I'm an audiophile. I mean, yeah. I, I, li- I like the toys. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I've seen photos of your stereo. That's <laughs> it's stupid, but anyway... Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, basically, I at the moment I've been listening to a lot of my uh, wife's uh, vinyl that she had when she was at, at uni. Mm. Uh, I mean, I was um, the last place I was living. I I, I had streaming. I had yeah. title yeah. streaming, which was great. Uh, CD quality. So I was listening to a lot of new stuff there. Um, listening to the uh, Pulitzer Prize hip hop album, which was excellent. Uh, Kendrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kendrick Lamar. And, uh, uh, but, and so, uh, Tidal was a, a great thing, but yeah. now um, we've moved elsewhere. I'm not using Tidal anymore. So I'm just, I, I have a, a, computer, a, a, a computer that has a four tetrabar hard drive that has most of my music. Uh, you know, I have some jazz. I have, I have a couple of pop things here and there. Mm. But it's not like, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you, you're you're extraordinary. Your knowledge of all this kind of stuff uh, is I, I I can't. I'm just too busy um, to 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 get into that to that kind of thing. I mean, I'd I'd love to, but um, you know, sometimes when I'm listening to the stereo, like I might I might have downloaded um, a high res something that um that I I read sounds great or or mm. and and I'll I'll get that 
and um, there's a, a recording company called Ma Recordings, MA Recordings, that does a lot of world music stuff. So I have some of their stuff just because it's mm. ridiculously sonically amazing. Mm. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know, musically how great it is sometimes, but, uh, but um, it, it's interesting and that, that, that keeps me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, I wondered if you listen to music. Uh, I mean, I guess I do this a tiny bit, but I wondered if you listen to music outside of work um, for arrangements and perhaps production almost above sometimes yeah 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 so, I sometimes could, I could imagine that about you that yeah, yeah. I mean so it's got to be good as of course, of course you know course. that's a given you don't listen to bad music and pick out but you can you can oh, listen God. to I'm sure you I listen can, to bad music yeah yeah I know I do well I didn't know I did but enough people have told me but um, you know you, you you listen to it you can spot an amazing component of a bad song or a or a bad, you know, absolutely. You know, a bad performance of classical music. You can spot the bit that shines and so yeah. forth, can't you? Yeah. So I mean, you know, being being um, a person who makes his living in live acoustic music, mm. it's 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 really neat to hear how close stereos can get to the live sound. And yeah. that, that's what I'm all about, and yeah. that's that's kind of why sometimes I chase you know, musically questionable albums that are yeah. so well recorded. But um, like you know, if 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 I'm just cooking dinner or I'm just relaxing. You know, I'll, I'll play whatever Justine, you know, you know, has, yeah. you know, whatever the, the album du jour is, and we'll play a few albums. But, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy to put on um, uh, some of the ring cycle, because I've got, I've got four different ring cycles on vinyl. Right. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, it, it's great. Uh, Simon O'Neill came uh, when I was living, still living in Auckland with my older system, and we put on the Carrion Berlin, um, it would have been Rheingold. And Simon was like, wow, the voice, these yeah. things sound great on voice, and I, I love that. And yeah, so, you know, I, generally I'll, I'll listen to stuff in the background, um, um, and it, 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 I'm, I'm still probably 50-50, mainly classical with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit of a nerd. No, um, no, no, I bet. I mean, I, how could you not be, right? Like, it's you've devoted your yeah, life to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel bad. I, look, I, the thing is, you know, I, I work a lot with James Morrison, the... Uh, yeah. Genius jazz trumpet yeah. player, and you know he likes working with me because yeah. I, I I do have um, a way to get the orchestra to swing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm not I'm not uh, completely stupid when it comes to um, yeah. various um, styles. And actually, one thing I, I should talk about coming through conducting as a musician, musician in the NZSO or any orchestra has to play stylistically correctly for whatever style, genre, or composer. Mm -hmm. So I don't see why it should be different for a conductor. Yeah. So, you know, as a trombonist, I would play pop shows, um, what have you. I, I played the original Enzo album and um, as a trombonist. And um, and so you, you sort of get a sense of how, how things are expected to be done. Mm. Um, so, and and quite frankly, as a conductor, you know, if, if, if you're serious, you, you're going to knuckle down and work out what's what's authentic and what isn't. And of course, you know, if you're working with someone like uh, Julia or Vic or mm, Anika, mm. they will let you know in no uncertain terms um, what they want. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's fabulous. Now, you mentioned your wife's name and her record collection, but she's a musician as well. Justine Cormack, And yeah. she's a, 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 we'll chuck that term out, she's a world-class musician and oh, she's yeah. a classical musician, she's a violinist. Yes. Now, um, what 
is great and I guess bad about living with another musician. Obviously, you guys um, have uh, a, sh- a shared passion, a shared interest in in, in terms of your work. Um, what's a diary date like? Is it are you all over the place and different? <laughs> we are. I mean, so she was the concertmaster of the Auckland Philharmonic, yeah. and then she became um, violinist the New Zealand trio. Trio, yeah. But she she left it because you know being in a trio is a little bit like being married to multiple people. That, mm-hmm. You know, being married to one person's hard enough. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so, uh, but she left it after a solid stint. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah. yeah it, it had been enough. And, and, you know, we, we rode the property market in Auckland. And so we've always wanted to live in central. And yeah. so we somewhat irresponsibly bought some land down there before yeah. we could afford it. But we, and we immediately had to put our house up to auction in Auckland and we did well. So, um, so we moved down there, we're building a house and Justine's still playing quite a bit, but she's actually project managing. Right. Um, okay. And so she's uh, taking a little bit of a step back. And she's doing, she's, she's really detail oriented. So, yeah. um, so that's going pretty well, but yeah, no, she, she so because Amalia Hall was, uh, who's our normal concert master in Orchestra Wellington mm. was the soloist. Justine was asked to perform because, you know, she's, uh, you know, has a has had a great career as a concertmaster, mm, mm. um, and and that was fun. Um, yeah. yeah, I wasn't even getting to the fact that you actually conducted her. And how many yeah. times has that happened? Was that oh, quite a bit? Yeah. Not, not so much anymore. Yeah, she might she might help 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 us out once a year. Um, yeah, but when she was in the Auckland Philharmonia and I was their associate conductor there, um, mm. yeah, we would see each other a lot. Yeah, in that in that professional. Yeah, and, and it was it's always been very good. Um, yeah. working with her. Um, no, she's great. She, she, she always has things to say to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> gives you notes. Gives me notes and, you know, and that's good also. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I guess a, a flaw that I have, um, in rehearsals, I suppose, is sometimes I try to be too amusing. And, right. And, 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 and basically I think, you know, like, and that happened at one point, um, in the middle of the, uh, Michael Norris, we had just done the first movement run through and you could, there was a palpable sense of relief in the room. And um, and I said something, then one of the viola players sort of made a pun about it, and I started joining in. And Justine was like, "Mark, Mark, stop, stop this," you know. But I felt comfortable that oh, we we have some time, you know. We yeah. we can lighten it a little bit, and that's that was my intention. But yeah, so if that that's one of the things that I probably need to work on. Um, yeah, yeah. Just to be more completely business like all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and I'm I'm pretty focused as you can imagine. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, now your your American job is not um, in your hometown, but it does connect you with your, I guess, your birth country. It does. Um, and, my, and my family, actually. And your family, yeah, yeah. And do you, but you've obviously committed to, well, at least another season with, with Orchestra Wellington. I think I know the answer to this. You're building a house down south. But do you get the urge for going? And, and, and you've been here a long time. Do you want to go back? Obviously, it's a whole separate discussion what it's like living in America in 2018, 19. Yeah. Is, it, is it satiating to have that connection going back for work? Right. Um, well, it is. Uh, so my, so I, you know, my orchestra's in Vallejo, California, which is mm. the top of the San Pablo Bay, just 20, 20 minutes south of Napa, which is mm. great for a wino mm. like myself. Um, so my sister lives there. It's great to see her. My brother's 20 minutes down the road in Oakland. Um, yeah. yeah um, my brother-in-law lives in Oakland. Does yeah. he? Yeah. Home of the Tower of Power. Yeah, yeah. I've got some of their albums. Fabulous. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Um, and then my, and my parents, they're still alive and kicking in God's Waiting Room, which is mm. Florida. Mm. Um, but they, they still come out and, and we... We do our, our, our thing. Um, 
and, and right now it's great. Would I love uh, uh, to get uh, you know a major orchestra in the United States? Of, of course I would. Yeah, but yeah. would I would I give up Orchestra Wellington? No. Um, and would I move to the States? I I don't think so. I I love it here. You know. I, I feel like I'm a Kiwi. I spent more of my life here than I have in the States. Yeah, I was going to say, you've, you've spent most of your adult life here, really, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, yeah. No, I've yeah. certainly certainly spent more of my life here than in America. Right, yeah, yeah. So you're a, you're a Kiwi. I just don't sound like one. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what, what's, what's happening next year? You've got the, you've got the August to Wellington season. Yep. That's out and available people can find that people yes. have already got the programs right. if they if they went to the last performance yeah and then what else is on the on the work schedule for you that that would seem like a full-time job oh. in and of itself for any one person well then I, you know I've, I've got my Vallejo season. yeah yeah so what how much of that is that all set up already as well or is that well we're still so their still seasons go yeah. se- September to April right so, okay so no I mean I've got my plans we won't launch until May right probably. so you're working on that yeah yeah I mean I, I've got ideas um, we're looking for a new executive director at the moment so that's that's a lot of stuff I've got to deal with with the board at the moment but um yeah so the, the, those two things I, I I do a lot of guest conducting as well um, yeah. in the states Asia and Australia so it, it keeps me busy jeez yeah, yeah. that's fine it, you know hopefully it means we can afford this house it's <laughs> scary <laughs> you'll find scary. out yeah no. <laughs> yes um yeah I guess that's right yeah. yeah well we've had a we've had a big old chat and I know that I've talked about we've talked about uh predominantly classical music for longer than I've ever talked to anyone on the podcast for so and, uh, and very well very oh, eruditely oh I, thank I you add. yeah yeah um, <laughs> is there anything that you want to put across that you hoped I'd, I'd asked you or is there anything that you want to plug or we've done enough plugs but is there anything no no I mean I, I, I've really enjoyed the talk yeah um, yeah I mean you know kudos to you for doing this and also your your music criticism um, you're the uh I mean, you're, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, I don't want to butter you up or anything, but you're definitely my favorite critic in in the country in terms of, uh, you know, having a point of view and 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 being fearless, oh, which wow. is, which well, is something, yeah. um, which is something that you don't really get so much um, with the classical critics. Well, what? Yeah, what? What? Actually, that's interesting. What relationship? I mean, you mentioned John Button. I mean, yeah. he's a long-standing Wellington, and I mean, I've, I've met him a couple of times, but not, yeah, for ages. I like him and I like his work. I know he knows his he stuff he inside sure out. Yeah. And he's been a, informally, he's been a really important guide for me. Because, okay. you know, I, when I started listening to classical music, it was like, and, and I have written some reviews here and there. It's like, well, who better to follow locally than right. someone like him? So I know he knows his stuff. But what, you, you, you've directly referenced the relationship with him, but what relationship do you have with critics and criticism? Like, how important is it for you to be across following reviews or reviewers and well, what what trouble do you or they get into for that you um, talk about fearlessness oh i see um well i, I don't know i mean i i, I read reviews of yeah. course and yeah. um i use them when it suits me yeah and and and, and ignore don't, them. Yeah. yeah i mean generally um you know, I, I disagree with every review I read. Right. Um, but, you know, whether it's positive or negative, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, might, I, might, I might have some issues with it. But, uh, but I do appreciate a, a critic with a strong point of view, even if it might not be the same as mine. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what I, I most admire about you. John, you know, he, he has that too, 
the problem with, with, with John Button now is what's happened to the Dominion Post yeah, yeah. Is, is, is bleeping terrible. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to talk swearing too much. I mean, I think You're it's welcome a, to. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's appalling, you know, we're in the uh, quote-unquote cultural yes. capital of the world, yeah. cu- 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 cultural capital of New Zealand, and, and yet our paper doesn't, I mean, Cut it's, 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 it's yeah. complete rubbish compared yeah. to the Herald, Yeah. which is bad enough, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the Herald, they're still trotting out some arts coverage, they're they, still trying to get to events and, and mention them, yeah. You know, and, and, I think arts coverage sells papers. I think so too. I mean, yeah, we're we're, we're probably always going to think that, but I, yeah, I yeah. think so. Oh, I mean, I've been on the I've been on the brunt of it. I yeah. personally, I've been on the receiving end of yeah. of uh, arts coverage disappearing out of the paper. It's, I, it's bullshit. I didn't make a huge living. I didn't make any living out of it. Yeah. It was just a component of my income. Yes, but I had a good time doing it, and yeah. I felt that I was offering something. You know, yeah. I felt it was a service to. Yes. To, to be doing it and yeah. I had some great experiences seeing some amazing things right. so I'm very disappointed yeah. um, in, in, in the Dominion Post yeah. and um, and yeah look of, of course you know I, ha- I have my own vested interest but but the culture of a place and not just the fine arts but every aspect of culture should be celebrated and should be documented in the paper yep. I mean you know it's turning I'm sorry it's turning into a rag yeah you know it yeah. just I'm sorry what you know, th- there's so much to be celebrated here, and 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 yet and and e- even even if uh, you go to a show and say, well, this was complete rubbish, there's still there's still an element of celebration. There's this there's the sense of um, communication, the relationship yeah, yeah, yeah. between uh, the documenter of what's happening, yeah. um, and. I mean, you know, we see this, you know, sometimes I think the Dominion Post still has this. What was happening in the Dominion Post a hundred years ago? Mm. Well, a hundred years hence, mm. what are they going to have to say? Yeah. You yeah. know, oh, we had an unusual freak snowstorm. You know, what yeah. was actually happening culturally yeah. in Wellington today, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a few conversations around this recently with people and been doing a bit of thinking about it that, you know, one of the things that, because not all music reviewers review gigs there are a lot of music reviewers who just review albums and they don't they've never really reviewed and and the idea of reviewing a gig is very interesting because a lot of people would say well what's the point in reviewing a gig it's it's over it's over by yeah. the time the person and i i understand that that's a that's a simple way of looking at it and it's yeah. not incorrect no but one of the things that reviewing gigs does is exactly what you're speaking to around a cultural history of a place absolutely and then when you have one or two regular gig reviewers you know the audience the readership gets to know their taste and their style and and so if i dismiss something it's coming with the knowledge that i've been to loads of shows across loads of years it doesn't mean i'm right but it means you know that's what informs my take on that is not this is the first gig i've ever been to and i don't know what i'm talking about that's right i've been to hundreds and i hopefully can structure a sentence Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this, that's all disappeared. Yes, and and it was, and this is another concern I have. Um, I know that I I don't know if it was John, but one classical reviewer said that the the paper said to them, they they wanted the review to read, like um, you had never been to a concert before. 
you're like you're right. trying to you're trying to yeah, review yeah. the piece to to a first timer. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like all you have to do is go online to the New York Times and and read yeah. or, or the New Yorker. Yeah. Read the the level of music criticism there yes. is spectacular. Yeah. And and you know why? It's because New Yorkers, rightly or wrongly, I'd like to think rightly, think of themselves as the capital of the world. Yes. You know, culturally. Yeah. And you know, you might you might disagree, but it they're serious there about it. And and the paper, thankfully, is a bastion of hope in mm. an era of Trump. Um, they they I think they take this idea of the paper of record um, really really seriously. Yep. Yep. You know, New York uh, Review of Books. I mean, yeah. it's 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 so intellectual. And you read you read a, a review which will be a few column inches, and it gets into the nitty gritty. And then yeah. the people like um, Alex Ross, the New Yorker, yeah, yeah. spectacular. I mean, you know, I subscribe to the New Yorker. It is, I always love reading his music criticism. And it's yeah. not sometimes he reviews a, a concert, but he's actually talking about bigger picture stuff. Yeah. And and where is that dialogue in New Zealand right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really exist. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, off the tracks, what you're doing. Yeah. That yeah. Th that's kind of where it's happening in in, in the classical realm in, in Wellington. There's middlec.org. Yep. And, and, and that's great, you know, what Lindis Taylor and Peter yeah. Mitchell are doing, yeah. great, yeah, great. Yeah, and theatre review for the for the dramatic arts and stuff, you know, there's things like that. There are these, yeah, and, there uh, are these places, and, and I guess a lot, people know where to look, but it's not the same. It's not, and, and maybe, maybe it is that newspapers, everything's going to morph online, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the direction, but, and it's been, but it's been a weird holding pattern for a few years now. You know, I, I still like getting the paper. And there's still, yeah, and there's still, you know, the fact, you know, sure it's a declining market, but, yeah, a little bit more of a fight wouldn't hurt in terms of, because I feel like they, uh, a lot of resources are being put into lazy, simple coverage. It's not, it's not that it's easy to do. They're still actually tying up a lot of resources, yeah. putting out lame coverage. Yeah. When you do read gig reviews now on stuff, they tend to, uh, it's a bit like what you were saying about I want it to read like it, you're a first time show yeah. attendee, and the reviewer will actually reference their own interview they did with the artist. Right. They'll talk extensively about the banter on stage. Right. And, you know, there are times when a bit of referencing, a bit of banter can be relevant because it yeah. can be funny or of course. interesting. But... It's almost a blueprint now for how a review is to be run. And so it's like, mention the interview we did with them two months ago. Mention, you know, this thing that happened at a previous concert. Mention this thing they said and then say everyone had a good time. Well, that's not a review. No. And to go back to your New Yorker examples yeah. and, and, and New York Times examples, you know, if you're reading there, if you're reading a review of a, a show in the New York Times and you don't and you can't follow it because you haven't done enough reading that's not the writer's fault that's your fault the reader you go and do some extra reading and catch up yeah. or don't read it you know that's yeah. your option or just just read it over a period of time yeah and and first, exactly and, and you know that's the whole idea about going to classical cl concerts yeah. you know yeah, it's the same go thing. a few times you soon get it yeah. Um, but yeah it's it. A, a review for me should be talking about the art and talking about the performance. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what's important. You know, you you know, uh, 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 an artist will put out, uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, you know, they'll put out this thing that obviously 
has, you know, mm. first Pulitzer Prize for something up in jazz or classical. Mm. They're making a statement there. Yeah. And, and they didn't just get lucky. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're, they're doing this because they're, they're speaking to our culture today. Yeah. And it's, it's imperative for the, the critics of the time to, to critique their art. And, and, and I suppose when he comes into town to say, okay, this is his art, what, what you thought about it, and, and did he do it okay? Yeah, yeah. And then banter, what have you, you know, what was he wearing? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's all 8th, ninth, 10th paragraph, you know, it's the first stuff that should be cut. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what to say like the, about this, but, you know, we're, we're in the arts, and the arts are important, and that that's that's what should be celebrated yeah and that's uh, that's the role of a critic for me and right. that's why it doesn't matter whether the the gigs come and gone yeah it needs yeah. to be documented in the paper yeah well thank you again for doing the work that you're doing because oh. you're uh, you know your uh, your enthusiasm for what you do is so palpable in talking to you and it is on the stage you know I've always you know as I said we've really only just met through this conversation yeah. properly and I've, but I've always felt that about you and your work when I when I watch it and listen to it, you're uh, you're so invested in it, and and, and it isn't just because it's helping with the mortgage. Yeah, <laughs> thanks very much, Simon. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>